Ho, ho, ho. It's Christmas. Welcome. I am San- Santa. Ooh. Santa Claus. Can't think of a gin pun for Santa Claus. Chris. Jingle. That'll do. Chris Jingle. Uh, and at the beginning of the Christmas episode, <laughs> we have decided to try two Christmassy things because we're very kindly sent. Christmas gifts from our friends in Gin Land. Gin Land. <laughs> We've got some Christmas music playing. Yeah, uh, we'll buy a fire. It's not lit because it's illegal because it's been filled in. <laughs> uh, we have got a Christmas cracker. Mark, can I turn this Christmas music off now? Yeah, it's just kicking in. Listen to that. <laughs> you waiting for the break? Mm-hmm. No, you can turn it off. It's okay. dreadful. All right. What you get for finding license free music? <laughs> we were sent from our friends at Drinks by the Dram a very, very special gift gin crackers. Yeah, so we're gonna Because that's it. us crackers about <laughs> gin. Right, so let's pull a gin cracker. Yeah. If you've got these, uh, then you get them in a pack of six. Oh! oh! Bloody hell, that's a, that's a loud old crack, that. What have we got? God, the smell of the gunpowder in that. Yeah. Don't do this underneath your fire alarm. No, don't. Right. Right, what do you get? Oh, well, you get a hilarious joke. A hilarious joke. I'll be the judge of that. I was born to be a pessimist. My blood type is B negative. Right, what else did we get? (laughs) Oh, a, a crown. gold crown. Can I wear the crown? Of course, you, you can wear a crown. You get a little bow that went round it as well. I wish this was long enough to go there. You can wear the bow around your beard. Right. And, of course, we've got a wee dram. Yes, we've got a dram. We've got... Paris Tot Navy Strength Gin from the New York Distilling Company. Ooh. So this is a new one to me. Let's have a good niff of it. At 57%, I'm not going to drink all of this. No, absolutely not. My word! I've got a migraine, so it's probably a very bad idea. This has got a very, very strong nose to it. Has it? Yes, like a Roman emperor. Let's have a smell. You have a smell. Cobl- it smells good, though. Cobl-imey. Did you almost unironically say cobl-imey? Yeah. <laughs> um, right, uh, fact. I've just Googled this. Mm-hmm. Navy strength, um, representing Matthew Calbraith Perry, a Navy officer in New York during the 19th century. Mm. Aromatic and smooth, this Navy strength gin is a great representation of its roots. Great value at 57%, making it ideal for cocktails and dilution. Dilution, you better believe dilution. (laughs) 57%. Right, let's have a little taste of it without the uh, tonique. Yeah. Oh my word. You're good. Yes, it's it's very perfumey. It's tasty. Just just have a touch on your lips. It is very fragrant, isn't yes, it? Yes, isn't it? Mm. I I really like that. Yeah, it's not... And we're going to have this with a Lixer tonic. Now, this is a really weird story. So, on last week's show, we discovered Lixer tonic and how incredible it was. Yeah. And then Matt happened to be doing a gig at the Stand in Club Newcastle. in Newcastle. And in the audience, there were two lads, and he said, what do you do? And they said, we work for a tonic company. Turns out, lads from Lixa. I'd just bought six bottles of it, and I had it in my bag in the green room. Yeah. And the lads were there, so we're, we're going to get in touch with them. Yeah, they were absolutely sound as well, yeah, weren't really, they? Yeah, really, really lovely lads. 
So, well, Sarah works out how to use a bottle opener. <laughs> have, a, have a smell of that. See what you think. You were just going straight for the drink there. It was, yeah. That is absolutely delicious. I can see why they say cocktails. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, it's very fragrant, isn't it? And like um, perfume, the perfume of the, the, the nose. It is, but it's not overwhelmingly so. No, it's just got like it's 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 got like a, it tastes like a cloud of flavour, like bounces yeah. off your tongue goes yeah. around your mouth. It's weird though. Yeah, I've never had that. It might be the massive percentage. Yeah, for cocktails, what if you're putting more than one alcohol in there? Fifty-seven percent. I know. And then more alcohol on top yeah, of it. True. God, be careful with this one, kids. Yeah. Not kids. Don't drink it if you're a kid. <laughs> and we're also just gonna have a little try of one that I've been desperate to try since. Last week. Yeah, because we also, not only did they send us the Christmas crackers, they sent us... Uh, yeah, the drink, Drinks by the Dram sent us the Christmas baubles. Christmas baubles. A pack of six Christmas baubles. You can see what's in these ones. So we uh, we selected the Yuletide Gin ourselves. We'll just crack that open. The Yuletide Boutique Gin Company. Right, now... A pa- what's that in it? It's gold. It's gold. Actual gold. Old leaf, look at that. We're rich, Matthew. Rich. We are. I might just, I might just get a pan and prospect this bottle. <laughs> right. Okay. Here's the info: Yuletide Gin, Christmas distilled. Mm-hmm. Everything from dates to Lebkuchen to Christmas puddings, with a dose of frankincense, myrrh, and. Of course, gold. That's what it is. Yeah. We've got frankincense, myrrh and gold in here, eh? Now, it's recommended that this be tasted with mm-hmm. uh, pomegranate seeds and an orange twist. Do you want me to get some pomegranate seeds? Yes. Right, so I do have pomegranate seeds. We've got pomegranate seeds. Uh, we haven't got an orange at the moment because uh, it's Christmas and they're used for stockings. <laughs> Bit of pomegranate in there. Let's have a niff. Oh, mm, it smells like grass now. Right. Pomegranate is very grassy, isn't it? Isn't it? Not cool grass like Degrassi Junior High. Lower <laughs> like Neil Degrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. Right, I'll give it a shake so the gold gets going. Yep. Let's have a try just on the... On the neat. Ooh. Ooh, it's tart, that. It is a tart one, isn't it? Mm. Ooh, very, yeah. It's a strength on that one. That's a 46. 46. They're not, they're not, uh, not without strength. The no. boutique gins, are they? It's a good flavoured gin with uh, with a good kick to it. Mm. We've all got uh, decent kicks. Touch of Lixer. Is it Lixer for this one as well? Let's not drown it. I swelled trying to be cool and professional. I've spilled it on my knee. <laughs> the pomegranate's giving it a beautiful colour. Yeah, it's gone pink. There it is. Took a while to come through that. It's a Christmassy. Mm. No, it's festive. Yeah, the gold tastes nice. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It tastes like it tastes like an alcoholic ice lolly. Oh, that's a really unusual flavour. It is. I've never tasted a gin like it. I'm trying to decide what I'm getting. It's kind of a bit like a mince pie. Yeah, yeah. There's a hundred different flavours all leading to one flavour, but I don't know what that final flavour is. Yeah. I think this might be the Christmas pudding gin people are looking for. Yeah, but it's not. Again, it's not a. It's not a. Uh, no, it's not. It's not a novelty uh, no. flavor. It's definitely a gin. It's yeah. definitely a very, very high end gin. 
lovely flavour. It's just nice, that but, really, the, um, but there's an unusual kick to it. Like. Mm, it's mm. definitely got the dry, something of the dried fruit about yeah. it. I don't think I've tried it. I think there was one boutique one I didn't like, but I think we tried it with shit. That's because I put that aromatic tonic Yeah, that it. didn't work with that, did it? But I, I don't think boutique's done a gin I don't like yet. Yes, I approve. Thank you very much, Drinks by the Dram. Mm. We're going to continue. I've already had a bit of drink, so this is this Navy Strength Gin's knocking me head off. Good well, times. Yeah, so um, I'm going to put the music back on, Matthew. I think so. As we uh, as we go into this episode. So uh, sit back and enjoy. We've got an episode all about gin and alcohol and language. Yes. And then we've got a really special recipe section today. We have a magic recipe uh, oh, oh, colour changing gins. I bet they're impossible to make at home. Nonsense. Not. Yeah, not. Yeah, good good one. Good one, Wayne's World. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's right. We have got a colour changing gin recipe for you today. Yeah, impress your friends and save money. Subjects. I've been through so many, so many subjects. What have I got today? So today, I thought we'd cover the drinker's vernacular. So language and sounds again, drinking. Sounds again like a Victorian uh, illness. <laughs> he's got... Vernacular disease. Yeah, he's got a drinker's vernacular, that's what he's got. Doesn't sound pleasant. Well, this will take us to some pleasant and unpleasant places today. Mm, like all the buses in the North East. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. So we've been drinking pretty much since the dawn of civilization. I mean, speak for yourself. I've only had two today. (laughs) Yes, we have. Yeah, it's quite the hangover. Actually, before we start, should we talk about what we're drinking today? Mm -hmm. We are drinking a delicious drum shampoo Irish gunpowder gin. And I'm quite surprised with the flavour, I have to say. Really surprised me. It is fresh, isn't it? It's very fresh. So when we talked about it last season, we were talking about the jackalope on the label. Mm -hmm. And the reason for the jackalope is because the jackalope is a fusion of two very different animals. And this is a fusion of Irish distilling and oriental herbs and botanicals. Indeed it is. With some uh, Chinese gunpowder tea. So I was expecting this gin to be quite spicy and quite strong I was and expecting quite powerful. It similar to Ophir. Yeah, very exotic. But, but it's not, is it? It's it is like drinking out of a fresh Irish stream. Crisp old swine, isn't it? <laughs> it is a crisp old swine. This is what I think jackalope might actually taste of. To drain a jackalope. Drain a jackalope. Mm. To drain a jackalope. <laughs> Terrible poem. <laughs> There's a very subtle kind of sp- spiciness to it mm. i would say it's a smoky uh very, got a smoky finish very very slightly but i would um i can taste the tea can you yes i can taste the tea in the background there see i wouldn't say that i can taste the tea but i can definitely taste that very slight kind of exotic spiciness to it but what i would say is that it sounds like the kind of gin that's going to blow your head off yeah and it doesn't it's a no, it's, very it's, light it's a subtle it's a subtle one it'll yeah. take it'll, it'll uh, you can drink this 
You can drink this pretty much all night. There's, Which um, we have been yes, and we have. will continue yes. to. My secret to getting an aftertaste is to make this noise. Okay, let's do this. Right. right. Cheers. Cheers. So you get the air up to the back of the palate. That's working. And taste the tea now. Getting the tea now, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Skills. <laughs> uh, you, you can have that one, readers. Readers. <laughs> you can tell how old Matthew is before the dawn of technology. <laughs> you can have that one, listeners. Right. Okay. okay. So as I was saying, uh, drinking is deeply ingrained in our culture. And for that reason, it's deeply ingrained in the way we speak. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, in this episode, we're going to take a look at the origins of gin-related vocabulary, if you will, the Oxford English Dictionary. Hmm? No, I won't. Come on. That was appalling that pudding. That was great. That was terrible that pudding. That was great. Wasn't even close. Dictionary. Dictionary. Dictionary? Yeah. Dick Gin. Dictionary. Richard say, Gin. Say quickly, Dictionary. Dictionary. It's very, very, very it's terrible. Right. If everyone could just please complain about that last j- uh, pun, <laughs> just so people know that uh, I'm not going mad here by saying that that was a terrible pun. <laughs> All right, let the public decide. Yeah, the public will decide. That was a terrible pun. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's start with the very basics. Okay. Yes. So where does the word gin come from, Matthew? You must know this by this point. Where does gin come from? Yeah. The word Geneva. You're right, it is Geneva. The word gin is derived from the French Genever. Genever. Dutch Geneva and Italian Ginepro, all meaning juniper. Um, yeah, so let's speak about juniper for a minute. So juniper is an evergreen tree. So aptly, its own name seems to be a conflagration of the Latin junio, which means young, and parere, which means to produce, hence, hence youth producing or evergreen. So Sweet. they came together to form the Latin word juniperus, which then translated over time and through various different regional languages into Geneva, which became gin. Goodness me. Yeah. No wonder what could it down to gin. Yeah. <laughs> Be honest so, with our Latin. <laughs> yeah. But so in a way, gin kind of means evergreen, mm. if you take it down to its roots. That's why it keeps me young and fresh. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of juniper, in 2011, juniper entered the top 1,000 list of given names in the United States. Really? Yeah, it's now a popular girl's name. They think that this is partly related to the cartoon The Life and Times of Juniper Lee, um, as well as the movie Benny and June. Have you seen that with Johnny Depp? I've seen the bit where he makes uh, breadsticks dance, and I thought that was a bit too quirky. And, okay, uh, yeah, it was too one of Too whimsical for me, thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I think the, the front cover is uh, Johnny Depp wearing a kind of pork pie hat. Yeah, not yeah. for me. No, but June in that film, her full name is Juniper. Ah, see. Yeah. There's also Pamela Dean's novel, Juniper, Gentian and Rosemary, and the Donovan song, uh, Jennifer Juniper, mm-hmm. which um, is, a, is a very nice song. And some of the parents might just be pissheads. That could be it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Juniper's now kind of becoming a name. It's a lovely word. It's a beautiful isn't word. Isn't it? It's yeah. almost a planet. Yeah. Okay. So there's the basics. Mm-hmm. We have our building blocks. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't do a show on the language of gin without a mention of our show's name, Mother's Ruin. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that came from? It's a very sinister background, that one. Mm. But I always assumed, like, even when we were picking the name, mm. that Mother's Ruin was, like, 
it was the ruin of many a mother. Mm. Like back in the day, just for rowdy women. Yeah, that's what I thought it meant. Yeah, because back then, like women were women were wives and mothers. They were very much treated as accessories for men. You know. Yeah. But they've had a drink. Listen, going. Actually, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? We're going to go out and have a good time here. Yeah. And uh, I thought that's what it meant. Yeah. It, it, you're absolutely right. That's correct. You know, Mother's Ruin, it's Jin's oldest nickname. And yeah, it came about because um, midwives used to drink it. Mm-hmm. And this attracted a lot of attention because... I suppose a midwife was a very uh, exalted position yeah. in society. Wet nurses used mm-hmm. to drink it. I mean, there are many, many different nicknames for gin. We've talked about them on a previous show. Diddle Drain, Frog's <laughs> Wine, Strip Me Naked, Blue Ruin. And like Mother's Ruin, they were all a bit grubby relating to urination, mm-hmm. obviously, sex, degradation. Um, and apparently wine made by frogs, maybe. I don't, I don't yeah. know where Frog's Wine came from. Oh, no, the frogs, frogs have got the most elaborate cellars. <laughs> Honestly. But Mother's Ruin ha- does have a bit of a slightly darker and, yeah, you, you know, a bit of a sexist connotation, yep. really. In Patrick Dillon's book, Gin, the much-lamented death of Madame Genevieve, he says the origins of this nickname can be traced back to the gin craze, helped along, of course, by William Hogarth. Mm-hmm. He says there is only one picture of Madame Genevieve. She's disguised as one of her devotees, sitting on some broken steps somewhere in St Giles. Around her is the chaos and despair of all slums everywhere. She's in a world of her own. She's even forgotten about the child on her lap. It takes a moment to realise the child is falling off the steps and onto the paving below. Not even maternal instinct has survived the ravages of gin and of course he's talking about the central character in Hogarth's Gin Lane mm-hmm. so he says here that the, the term mother's ruin is really encapsulated in this picture and in this character yeah, how rubbish a mum she was because she liked a gin basically that yeah god we'll breed a generation of terrible mothers now then won't we if that's the case <laughs> <laughs> well of course you know that was seen to be the case but but absolute nonsense of course yeah I mean the, the fact was that, yeah, London was in many ways going to rack and ruin yeah. because of uh, because of the many complex problems yeah. that it was facing. Gin was a symptom. Uh, gin was a symptom. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the fact that taverns were unisex, women were seen drinking alongside men in public, they were serving at gin houses, uh, it was quite shocking to people. So it was a lot of fear around women getting pissed on spirits. So we can't blame Hogarth for creating this stereotype, but he definitely did did a lot to propel it along. As we talked about previously um, in our Gin and Crime episode, Judith Defoe, the famous child killer, had gone to the gallows shortly before Gin Lane was published, robbing her own child's clothes to sell them to buy gin. So this was like the Daily Mail headline of its time, yeah. in a way. Um, Scaremongering. Yeah, fear gin, but most of all fear women drinking gin. And, you know, they were terrible mothers. They were killing off the next generation by abandoning what at the time was seen as their main purpose on the planet, having children. Yeah. So gin herself was presented as a woman in this picture, this, like, pox-ridden, syphilitic... Eve character wielding her forbidden fruit in one hand, you know, and dropping her baby from the other. <laughs> Nothing worse. No. Never wielded my forbidden fruit in a hand. <laughs> Go around Newcastle for the best. shaking your forbidden fruit around the city centre. <laughs> Look at my naughty apples. <laughs> 
Um, but as the writer of this book, uh, Patrick Dillon, points out, he says, The woman on the steps of Jin Lane wasn't a figure of pity, but one to inspire fear and loathing. She wasn't only destroying herself, she was spreading her foul disease among London's men. Madame Jennifer, Mother Jin. From the moment she appeared on the streets, London always recognised their new patron as a woman. A hundred years later, she would be Mother's Ruin. So, uh, so the nickname came about 100 years after Gin Lane was published. Yeah. Gin's followers were women as well. Um, a satirist gave them names, Dorothy Adelbrains and Sarah Suckwell, Jenny Pisspot and Rebecca Ragmanners. Yeah. Worst superheroes ever. Yeah. <laughs> Is that just what people have got written on the box and hen parties now? Yeah, it's like you see, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they get t shirts printed and go out on the hen parties on the box. Jenny Pisspot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jin was a woman, her followers were women, and they left a trail of broken men in their wake, too. This was why Jin was seen as a bit of a woman's drink for so long, as well. Yeah, and I think that's why even until fairly recently, probably until Snoop Dogg started drinking yeah. in the early 90s, it was seen as a woman's drink. Well, if I'm in a workmen's club and that, even up until recently... Ordering a gin and tonic. If I get oh, if they get a paint, paint, I says, I'll have a gin and tonic. They go, Because, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very progressive in those places. Until, like, there's a lot of the North East uh, clubs, have, like the workmen's clubs, they've clicked on. And some of the best gin selections I've ever seen have been in workmen's clubs now. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I think since this more recent gin craze, if you could call it that, it has been seen as a much more unisex drink. But prior to that, definitely, I think from its very first mention in English literature, which was, it wasn't a direct mention of gin, but we see Juliet's nurse in Romeo and Juliet asking for aquavitae, which would have been a spiritus liquor. Since that, moving on to Judith DeFore, mm-hmm. Gin Lane, and then even forward into temperance literature of the time that yeah. said, you know, women are rolling around in the gutters. Like Nana's drink as well, wasn't it? Say, so what was Doc it? Cotton. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the title of our show, but yeah, we, we have to recognise that it does have some negative connotations. Mm-hmm. That's whatever you want to staple onto things though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, today, I think it's it's just a fairly affectionate title for gin. Yeah. So we can say that Gin Lane was the origin of, or a, a major indicator of gin as being the cause of the downfall of womankind. It wasn't until 100 years later that the phrase mother's ruin was actually used in relation to gin. Oh, I yeah. see. Sneaky. So let's briefly talk about tonic. Mm-hmm. Where does the word tonic come from? Tonic, that comes from. No, I know this. I lied, I don't. Where does you don't t- know? No. Okay. To give tonic its full name, Indian tonic water, we know that originated in the yes. colonies um, when Britain were going off and taking over Scur- parts of Asia. Scurvy and malaria, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was used as a treatment for. Malaria. And treatments were called tonics, is that where? That and comes? treatments were called tonics. But going back even further, the word comes from the Greek word tonikos, which means stretching, as in kind of stretching your muscles. Yeah. So in that sense, muscular activity then faded into the more recognisable sense of healthy by mm-hmm. the 1750s. So it almost means it basically means exercise for the body. That's a lot of arm action. Yeah. Yeah. Tipping, spilling, yeah, drinking, swigging, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 
injecting into the eyeballs, yes, if you will. Yes, that was a good party. Yeah. So I'm not going to go into this in, into this in too much detail, but you can find out about all the history of Tonic in season one, Gin Meets Tonic. I think it was episode four. Yeah. But let's talk about whether tonic water still warrants its name. Namely, could it still act as a treatment for malaria as per its initial purpose? I wondered that. You know, when yeah. we were talking about it last time, I thought... Uh, if I'm drinking tonic, gin and tonic, and if I go over to a malarial country, yeah. well, I'll be like, got this? Got a bottle of Gordon's? Yeah. Bottle of Schweppes? I'm going to be all right? <laughs> the answer, I'm afraid, is probably not. Oh, tonic. Yeah, I know. So the act Now I'm going to have to get a painful injection. <laughs> yeah. I think you take uh, preventatives these days rather mm. than uh, cure. So you take anti-malarial tablets before you go away. All right, so yeah. tonic was only necessary if you had malaria. Uh, it would take down the fever once you'd already caught it. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. So the active malaria-fighting ingredient in tonic water, which is? Quinine. Quinine, yeah. Tastes like shit. Mm-hmm. So in order for it to be palatable, <laughs> see, yeah. if, if it's going to be a treat to complement your gin and not just a medicine that you pinch your nose and down yeah. in one then we have to lower the quinine level yeah. to really quite negligible levels also the fda in america they have dictated that quinine levels have to be kept again pretty low in order for tonic water to be sold as a food substance yeah. rather than as a medicine so it's thought that you probably need to drink about two liters of tonic water in order to get into the very bottom range of what's considered of medicinal. an effective dose yeah so is quinine sold separately as a medicinal thing anymore? I believe not. And I think the reason for this is that quinine was an effective, I would get, I guess, emergency treatment for malaria. Mm. So malaria is a relapsing fever that you can have for quite a long time, that you mm. can, it can come and go. So if you were dying of malaria um, in the, say, 1800s and you drank loads of quinine tonic, then it, it would probably save your life. But, but it wouldn't get rid of the... It wouldn't necessarily uh, get rid of it. So you may relapse, you may be fighting malaria for a long time afterwards. Ooh. So I think they've since found much more effective treatments mm. for malaria. Than just um, down in tonic. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I love the word quinine as well. It's a good word, it's a isn't it? It's a beautiful word, isn't it? Sounds it? like a small spiked animal, like a porcupine, I think. Yeah, it sounds sharp, yeah, doesn't I, it? Oh, look, there's a quinine, look. Yeah, <laughs> if you were to think, here's a quinine drink, what do you think it's going to ca- taste like? You'd be like, oh, you like sharp. Citrusy and, and dry, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, such yeah. A, it's such a descriptive word of it what is. it is. Yeah, it's very yeah almost onomatopoeic, yeah. but not, not, like, not in the right sense. cloud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I found out an interesting fact. Bostonians have always called sweet fizzy drinks tonic. Um, now, in America, I believe they usually call fizzy drinks soda. So, so we call it pop. We call it pop, yeah. Scotland calls it juice. Do they? Yep, called pop juice. Oh, right. Right, can of juice. So... Wales still haven't got it yet. That'd be nice when they get it. (laughs) We (laughs) love you, Wales. Only kidding, Wales. Yeah. But yeah, so in Boston, all fizzy drinks are referred to as tonic. Now, one explanation for this could be that Boston was a centre for early soft drink innovation and picked up the term back when sodas were still slightly medicinal. Mm. So Moxie, which was one of the first mass market sodas, was invented in Massachusetts as Moxie Nerve Food. Moxie, is that where you go? Oh, yeah. That's another word for like, uh, like, vigor, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, like, uh, oh, this kid's got some Moxie. Ah, 
did not know that. There you go. I'm That's pretty really sure I, it's like you know the Boston area, it's like the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. There you go. That must, must be about that. Must from. be about that. So Boston citizens, I guess, never really bothered to update the term when it stopped being medicinal. Oh yeah. So it was a lot of words are regional, weren't they? When you're from Cumbria, you say things that that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah, in Cumbria, um, so words for drunkenness, um, we'd say gattered for drunk. Do you say gattered in the northeast? Uh, not mortal. I think mortal, that... you say in the yeah, northeast. Mortal. Yeah, mortal, which con- makes it sound like every jolly considers himself a god until he drinks alcohol. <laughs> but yeah. Ali's made himself mortal tonight. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I quite like that. So, actually, shall we speak about drunkenness? Words for drunkenness. Let's. Yeah. Hammered, gipped, pissed, yeah. smashed, rat arsed, off your trolley, off your trolley, out the box. Um, what I noticed when I was researching words for drunkenness, and we're going a bit wider away from the topic specifically of gin and more towards general drunkenness. Yeah. yeah, but I thought it was quite an interesting topic. So, what I found is that um, animals very often make their way into our vernacular when we're talking about drunkenness. So we've mentioned rat ass. Rat ass. Uh, drunk as a skunk. Mm-hmm. Pissed as a newt. Pissed as a newt. I always wondered about that one. Well, the tiny little pond lizards. They didn't get pissed. Well, so it's funny you say this because I did a lot of research on on pissed as a newt and. It's a really weird one. It's, it was very, very difficult to pin down. Do you ever stop and think what we're doing with our lives? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of research on pissed as a newt. I know. I spent about two hours <laughs> trying to find out where this came from. And it's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of debate around this online. One theory is that it comes from a mishearing of the phrase pissed as a mute. All right. Yeah. Now, mutes were a common phenomenon in Victorian Britain. Um, and in this context, it doesn't refer to someone who is unable to speak. It referred to people who were hired by undertakers to almost set the tone at funerals. Really? Yeah. They were to, I guess, right, the best way of describing it is they were to undertakers what Bez was to, to the, the Happy, happy Mondays. Mondays. So he'd be jingling and jangling about, not really doing not anything. Not doing anything, but just making, getting people into But everyone's like, going, all oh, right, I yeah. see. Oh, yeah, I can go along with that. Yeah. yeah. This is what mutes were to funerals. So, <laughs> but in this case, it was the misery vibe. Mm-hmm. So they would set the miserable tone oh, for God. a funeral. Yeah. Imagine going home after that, just say... <laughs> yeah, I know. Why don't worry? Being miserable for money. So they'd sit around with a. So like Katie Hopkins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the mutes would sit around with a bit of a salpus on, saying nothing. Hence the name mute, and having a few drinks before then heading off to the next funeral, doing it all again. They'd do several funerals in a day, and it's thought that the obligation to drink throughout the day at these funerals led to the expression. Drunk as a mute. Ah. And, um, it's just morphed in a Chinese whispered. Yeah. And of course, this, this would also fit quite well because drinking would then affect your ability to speak. Mm-hmm. So this then could have been misheard as mute. But there were other theories flying around, which was that somebody who's overindulged in alcohol would take on the kind of wobbly, funny walk of a, of a newt. Oh, right. Because yeah. I suppose it's the only uh, lizard-type creature that, uh, that you saw in England, wasn't it? Yeah, you're probably right. I saw a nude once in my compost heap. You saw a nude in your compost mm. heap. Cute, aren't they? It was wonderful. They were a lot smaller than I thought they were going to be. Tiny. I thought they were going to be huge, but they're he not. put his the... tiny little uh, foot on my finger. Did he? It was wonderful. What, what are you doing? Put your hands in the compost heap? I was clearing it away. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The compost heap. 
I mean, I was about six years old. You were tidying a compost heap. Yeah. Wow. Just for fun. Anyway, <laughs> so... I think we've delved into your psyche more than anyone else. <laughs> now, let's talk about Hair of the Dog. Mm-hmm. So, Hair of the Dog... Where do you think Hair of the Dog comes from? Well, it's it's Hair of the Dog, the bittier, bittier isn't it? The yes. full uh, The full phrase. Yes. So, I imagine it's like... Uh, it's more of the same. I think that's what it means. Right, yeah. So, Hair of the Dog... It, Good you, for what ails you. Yeah, Hair <laughs> of the Dog to you and me means um, drinking off a hangover, right? Yeah. But yes, um, so the origin of the phrase is it comes from rabies. Karen oh, rabies. right. See, I did not know that now. So, if a rabid dog bit you, mm-hmm. um, it was thought that placing one hair of that dog into the wound where it bit you would fend off rabies. It's no wonder so many people die. I know. Back then, is it? I know, I know. What do you need to do? Oh, whisper in a cloud, you'll yeah. be fine. What? Yeah. You've got syphilis. I know. So, yeah, according to the 1898 Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, the belief originated in Scotland. So the saying goes, if this dog do you bite, soon as out of your bed, take a hair of the tail the next day. And then going back even further, it ties into the homeopathic principle of like cures like. So, you know, they used to practice homeopathy in ancient Greece. The Latin phrase for it is similar, similibus, curantor. Again, meaning like cures like. And it dates back to the time of Hippocrates. That's a great name, Hippocrates. Hippocrates. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, you shouldn't do that. I'm just off to do that. (laughs) What am I I like? I think it's quite interesting because... Many centuries later, when I think it was in India that the idea of vaccination was invented, you know, the idea that to give somebody a a, a lesser disease, a lesser disease could then fend off a worse disease. Yeah, because they build up its defences. Yeah. So, although I mean, hair of the dog is absolute quackery. Yeah. It's quite interesting that. In principle, if you take it back to the very principle, yeah, 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 of giving, giving someone the, uh, the the similar thing to yeah. make it to make the, that thing wear off, right? that it, that actually yeah. formed the basis of vaccination, which yeah. has has eradicated numerous no, God, deadly diseases, all kinds, eh? Yeah, so it is interesting. No one catches the dripsy anymore. <laughs> the dripsy, we've talked about <laughs> dripsy, Matthew. We're the not dripsy. going back there. It's dropsy. Oh yes. <laughs> um, so we talked. At the end of the last season, um, about the fact that many cocktails were actually designed to act as the proverbial hair of the dog. Mm-hmm. So the corpse reviver. And, yeah. um, you know, that was that was the classic cocktail to be taken in the morning to clear a foggy head. Um, and again, it worked at the time mm-hmm. in that you would start to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just delaying the Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Matthew, should we end this episode on an abstinent note? Sounds dull. It does, yeah. But prohibition mm-hmm. um, brought Not up... Dull. <laughs> Untouchables. <laughs> yeah. And it brought up many interesting words and phrases that we still use mm-hmm. um, in relation to drinking. Give us an example. So, now, illicit liquor was known in the southern states as moonshine. Moonshine. Um, and in the northern states as bathtub gin. Mm-hmm. And moonshine and bathtub gin... Fairly obvious reasons why they were called these things. Moonshine after the clandestine after dark activities of the illegal distillers and bathtub gin. Which made in a bath. Probably made in a bath. Yeah. Big, big old bath there. Yeah. 
So during this time, there was a big clash of opinion between those who called for merely for mere moderation and those who called for complete abstinence from alcohol drinking. So the latter called for total abstinence with a capital T, hence the phrase T-total. Yeah, but as is so often the case with etymology, these there were conflicting ideas of where teetotalism came from. The the first theory is probably the most sensible one. Mm-hmm. But mine was stick to tea. It's all you allowed to drink stick now. Stick to tea. It's yes. All you're Let's go with that. It could have been that. Uh, I'm I'm right. Just all right. Just so you know. All right. But there was another theory which was slightly more far fetched, and that was that it came from one campaigner's speech impediment. Was so, it a stutter? Yeah. Oh, that's a bit cruel, isn't it? Well, apparently, at a meeting of the Preston Temperance Society in 1833, the society member Richard Turner made a speech, and in it he said, "I'll be reet down out and total forever and ever," and. Apparently, from there, people started calling it teetotal. So it sounds Yorkshire. Teetotal. Teetotal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that's that's the actual origin of teetotal. But it's a nice um, it's a nice story. It is a nice story. Not yeah. for not for poor not poor Ladley. So street sellers would uh, manage would find ways of uh, continuing to sell illicit liquor during the Prohibition era. Sneaky. Mm. And this was often in the form of a little cart that they'd pull around mm-hmm. under the subterfuge of selling more wholesome goods, like foods, etc. But, given the nod, they'd pull a bottle from their trouser leg. And, uh, so they're getting trousered. They're, well, actually, <laughs> interesting. Uh, there you go. I don't know. It's bloody trousered. Yeah, it could, it could well be. But I'm thinking more of the fact that they would give the customer a little swig out of the bottle that was hidden up their trouser leg um, for a hefty fee. Trou- trouser swig fee. Oh, God, look at him, he's trouser swig feed. <laughs> no, we're not no? talking about drunkenness now. All right, what are we talking about now? We're talking about selling illicit liquor. Bootleg! There <laughs> yeah. we go. Yeah, that's where the phrase bootlegging comes from. Is it really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I think, like, uh, old tw- 1920s cars, like, with the... Hillbilly like noise, get ding 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 ding, where the yeah. police chase them, firing the guns in yeah. the air. I get, yeah, they've yeah. done bootlegging moonshine. Yeah. No, it was just a guy pushing a little cart around the street with a bottle of uh, with a bottle of gin, bottle of bathtub gin up his leg. That's brilliant. There you Absolutely go. Absolutely love that. Yeah. So, if any of you know the origins of any gin or general alcohol-related phrases, yes, um, let us know. We'd love to hear more. This was a really interesting one to research and I uh, learnt a lot. Yes, I learnt some new things too. Good. That I enjoyed wonderful. what I've learned. That is wonderful news. Yes, you. and if you want to, uh, if you want to question any of the ones we've come up with, uh, yeah, yeah, don't. <laughs> no, please do because what I found with um, uh, researching etymology of various words and phrases is that there's a million different. There's a million uh, yeah. different theories for every single one, yeah. and do you know what? I absolutely love that yeah. because with every different theory comes a new story, uh, even if it's it's, it's not the real origin of the phrase. You still learn something. Like mutes at a funeral might not be the real reason Pisses why we say pistas and newt, but actually I never knew that mutes existed no, at funerals. I didn't, no. So there you go. God, it's like, it's like a eunuch at an orgy. Mm. Hey? Yeah, say what, what now? <laughs> Just setting the mood. They're not doing anything. <laughs> 
They're just going, Fwoo! and everyone else goes, yeah, Fwoo! they're like, what for a drink? <laughs> and after after um, hitting the high note of temperance, we take it back down to the gutter, courtesy of Matthew Reed. Oh, yeah. Recipe time at Mother's Room podcast. I've missed the recipes. I've missed the recipes. Glad to have the recipe section back. And today we've got something really exciting to show you. We have indeed, because there has been a lot of hoo-ha in the gin world all about colour-changing gins. Yes. Now we, a while ago, accidentally made a colour-changing gin. We did. We didn't mean to, but I think it's because we're so brilliant... We accidentally did. Magic just happened. Magic did just happen. I'm like the Gandalf of the gin world. <laughs> you look a bit like a wizard. Yes, well, I've been called worse. I'll take wizard, because we made a gin that we're going to give you the recipe for now, uh, that does change colour. But, I mean, there's loads coming out. There's um... there's plenty of colour changing gins around. Aldi have released one, I believe. Yeah, in Scotland, wasn't they? Right, and that's the McQueen? Uh, it's, it's a gin from the McQueen distillery, yes. Right. They make all kinds of liqueurs. I see them remember the chocolate orange one and the after it one. They do as well as us behind the times, but whatever. Uh, they do they do one of them. And that's, that changes blue to pink, doesn't it? Blue to pink. We've also tried the Old Curiosity Secret Garden range. We tried the Lavender and Echinacea one on an earlier episode of this show. And that changes from a kind of purpley colour to a very nice pink yes. when you put the tonic water in yes so today we are going to do an apple and rose apple and rose now we did not know this but when we were actually filming the tasting of this gin when we tipped the uh when we tipped the tonic in and it changed and we didn't even notice the first couple of drinks because obviously we're just more interested in getting it down our gin walls yes than really paying much attention to whether your gin changes colour but apparently it's all a rage now, so everyone's dead excited about this gin. I've seen, like, uh, it came up on one of the websites that we follow, the uh, Craft Gin Club, and there was, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of likes and bit, and I was like, we've already done that, we should tell them how to do it. That'll, yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is we are using a base gin of Aldi London Dry. Yeah, the uh, Oliver Cromwell gin, that's it. Yeah, we use that for all of our infusions, just because it's a good, solid... It's a brilliant gin. Gin. And gin. because it's inexpensive... Yes, you can, because you... it is cheap and we can muck about with it. I mean, we've got a jar here, a dirty pint of our old infusions that we can't drink, because after a while it does tend to go off and could possibly kill you. Yeah. So, I would suggest this one will probably last a couple of weeks before the yeah. flavour goes past its best. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised as you are that we've had gin that's lasted a couple of weeks, but uh, we have had other gins to get through. Yeah, yeah, it, it does contain fresh apple. So, yeah, it, well, it's not a keeper. It's one to kind of make, infuse for a few hours and then... Yes, yeah, and impress your friends. And impress your friends. So, the idea with this one is it's going to turn from a golden colour to a pinky colour when you put the tonic water in. So what you'll need is 250 millilitres of gin. Like I say, we've gone for an Aldi gin. You'll need some caster sugar. You'll need one apple. We've gone for a pink lady because it's quite sweet. Pink lady indeed. Yeah, it's gold. it gives that golden colour. Yes. And uh, it's a nice taste. Yes. Apple. Apple's always a delight. 
Who else uses apple? Elephant gin, I understand. Elephant gin use apples, yeah. Uh, and so maybe taking a bit of inspiration from them. Hendrix, of course, use rose, and so that is our other so ingredient. Other apple and rose, what a delight. Yeah. It sounds like an English country gin, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. English country garden. Right, so, I've got my apple here. Give it a grit. But uh, in case you don't know how to grate, that's hold it onto a sharp grater, move up and down rapidly until you get some apple <laughs> in little shreds. Thanks, Nigella. If I was Nigella, I'd be doing this with no top on. You are doing this with no top on. Silence, you don't need to excite the listeners like that. I suggested filming this, but Sarah wouldn't let us. Because I've got no top on, probably. <laughs> Just don't want a barrage of attention, yeah, I suppose, Matthew. Yeah. I suppose we want people here for the gin and not getting lost in my eyes. Exactly. Or oh, your nipples. My nipples and <laughs> not understated abs. What are you laughing at? Just the idea of getting lost in your nipples. Right. I have grated about three quarters of this apple. Yes, I have. It's probably a bit too much. That but is too much. I've over grated. So I've got a very large tablespoon here, and I'm going to pop the apple on a tablespoon, so I know how much here I'm putting it in. So there's, in goes one very large Plop. tablespoon of pink lady apple, and I'm going to put another sort of quarter of a tablespoon in there for good measure. So one and a quarter. One and a quarter. Using my maths there, straight in. Yeah, now for the, for the rows, we have got... You put them over the side, and then you forgot where you put them there. Thank you. We've got some Waitrose, pretty rose petals. Yeah, that's right. We've changed. <laughs> Sprinkle and surprise. Um, Sprinkle and surprise. Yeah, yes. But it depends what you where you put them. In a gin, not that surprising. No. Put them on a casserole, you go, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Too much of a surprise, yeah, if anything. Yeah, I Or just jumping out of a cupboard. Rose petals! <laughs> <laughs> so, these are, of course, edible rose petals. Now, I don't know what the protocol is on in just eating rose petals. I don't know if you could go out to yes, do not rose just bush eat rose petals. and just pick some and shove them in. You probably could, yeah. but we have gone for this, which is an, absolutely an edible version, which it suggests sprinkling on salads and whatnot. So I'm going to put in... A pinch. A very large pinch. This would probably... A generous pinch. This would probably fill about a teaspoonful. Yes. And then... A tiny bit more. So probably a heaped teaspoon of rose petals, dried rose petals. A heaped teaspoon of rose petals. Yeah. And I'm also going to put in, now, this is going to be a kind of liqueur. We do like to have the, the sort of the sweetness. Yes. Um, so I'm going to put in two large tablespoons full of sugar. And that... That is basically all you have to do. It's easy, this it. gin infusion It's thing, really it? easy. So... Stick on the lid. Shake, shake, shake. shake. Now this gin is very, very quick to infuse. You don't need to leave it for days. Uh, we're going to leave this now for about three hours. Three hours. Good amount of time. It's swelling around there. It looks like coleslaw. It does look a bit like coleslaw with good rose petals in it. So let's. Now that would be a surprise, rose petals. Any that would be a surprise. Yeah. Surprising rose petals. <laughs> just creeping up on you, scaring the shit out of you. It's going to be to be this apple. Perfect. Very professional. Right. Sarah loves to eat our gin garnishes. <laughs> See you in a few hours. 
night we're back um about four hours later i'd say yeah, it's four hours later it's a delightful little a pinky peach it's kind of a, yeah golden peachy color oh, smells delicious yeah, um, so we've just sieved this and then we put it through a coffee filter. It doesn't really have to go through a coffee filter, but if you want it to be extra smooth, then go ahead. Um, now, last time we did this, it was a bit more yellow. It was. I think the thing is, we left this for four hours this time instead of three. Yes. So it's gone a little bit more pink than yes. last time. But let's see if let's it see changes if We've got some Schweppes tonic here, so here we go. Drum roll. There, it, there goes. it goes, and it's pink, and it's got a bright pink color. Bright pink. We are we are science. Wow, we are science. We are science. Yeah, right. Let's give this color changing gin a taste. Oh, that's lovely. There's a delight. That's absolutely lovely. This bright pink concoction. The rose doesn't come through very strongly. No, that is that's just apple gin, isn't it? <laughs> it is very appley, but. The rose, if nothing else, it lends itself to the, the colour. Yes. So an essential ingredient. Ooh, that's a strong one. It is quite strong, yeah. I think because we've put the sugar in and it's quite sweet, it uh, it tastes more like a liqueur. Yeah. But then you've got the kickback because it is full strength. Oh, gin. It's, it's a lot of gin. That's mm. But that's amazing. It's, it's, we've done it again. Unbelievable. So that's what you do to make these colour change. The colour uh, change is quite, remarkable. Quite significant, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, very easy to do. Very easy to do. No it's... tricks. No nope. gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> Just raw science skill that I'm definitely qualified to tell you about. Gin news. Headlines today. Ginflation. Gin profits skyrocket. Flavor Fave revealed the flavors you want most in 2019. Ginflation 2016 saw a massive rise in gin sales. That's where it all started, pretty much kicking off. Uh, it was kicked off, you know, with Hendrix now, but 2016, so it just really caught on. Loads of new ones, but this year that number almost doubled. Blimey. Made a billion. In 2016, what? nearly two billion this time. It's that hot summer, isn't it? Yep. Gin made 1.9 billion with more than 66 million bottles sold in a year. That's that makes me happy because, you know, you sometimes hear people go, "Well, how long? How long is this gin craze going to last?" It's not a flash in the pan. It's, it's for not reals. a flash in the pan. Yeah, it's not a flash in the pan. It's a wonderful drink, and it deserves to reign supreme for many, many years. It was up 41 percent on last year. There's an example for you mm. about how much it's not a flash in the pan. More gin was sold in this three-month heat wave, right? Because you know how good the summer was. Mm. Uh, than in the summer of 2014 and 2015, that's 28 million bottles all together. Wow. Amazing. I wonder what it was like for tonic. Because in, in the summer, do you remember there was a uh, shortage of CO2? Yeah. Ah, that would be an interesting fact to yeah. find out. Probably should find out. Really, probably should. Uh, but the gin higher ups are putting it down to the flavoured gin, the increase in the flavoured gin, specifically the pink gins. Ah, uh, right. See, I'm not a fan of the pink gins myself. No, I'll tell you what pink gin I like, mm -hmm. which isn't strictly a, a pink gin, but the poetic license uh, picnic, picnic gin. gin. Yes, that is nice. Yes, which is pink. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, 
But like, they, they, I mean, all the higher ups are doing one now. Like Gordon's has got one now. Uh, Beefeater's mm-hmm. got a pink chin and uh, stuff like that. And they're all well and good. I mean, long may they continue. But mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, yeah, the flavoured gins and the pink gins are, mm-hmm. uh, are are really boosting the sales. It's I think it's them for the people who don't really like gin. We'll try a flavoured one. Of course you like it. Yeah. Speaking of flavoured gins, our next topic, flavour fav. Now, our friends at Craft Gin Club. Oh, we love the Craft Gin Good gang, good gang. They severed their massive membership and asked what flavour would they like to try in 2019? What do you reckon? Okay, um, probably something chocolatey. You think chocolatey? Okay, let's have a look. Well, top seven. Don't know what that song was. It was almost the top of the pops yeah. one there. Anyway, number seven coming in a three percent biscuit. Biscuit. It didn't specify what biscuit though. That's weird. What biscuit would you choose if you had? Well, do you remember we made a... ginger? Ginger would be nice, but do you remember we made a Jaffa biscuit gin? Yes, we did. And we made it with orange um, and cocoa beans. And vanilla. Vanilla. And yep. that's and it was the vanilla that made yep. it biscuity. Yep. So actually sounds disgusting. But custard cream would be easy to bit do. Bit of vanilla think. in it, yeah, yeah. That could be really nice. We should do our own range of biscuit gins. Okay, let's do it. Three percent of this membership wants them. Yeah, okay. Right. Distilled recipe time. Uh six percent chocolate and banana. I said chocolate chocolate and banana though. Yeah. That's silly, isn't it? The, the the problem with that is that I don't know how you would make it without using essences. I I, I can't. Yeah, you couldn't just mash a nana up <laughs> like you were preparing dinner for a baby. <laughs> no mashed nanas here. <laughs> okay, next. Oh, we've obviously got some posh members. Eight mm. percent would like to try a truffle gin, like as in the fungus. Yes. Oh no. Absolutely not. That's a high-end thing, that though, isn't it? I mean, I've tried truffle, white truffle chips. Me too, and it's extremely savoury. It's too much, isn't it? It's too much, no. No, cancelled, no truffles. 9% Yorkshire tea. That's very specific. I, I could go I could go along well, with that. Well, Mason's do a tea gin. They do, yes, yeah, And they're from Yorkshire, yeah. so perhaps. Yeah. They go, you've already got your wish on that one. Go try Mason's gin. Uh, a, a novelty, the, the lads novelty, from yes, yes, that's right, yes. Mm. Um, we also are at fifteen percent of the vote. Christmas pudding. Oh no! Hang on, Christmas pudding's got rum in it. Yeah, but it's like a spice, doesn't it? It's got like that spice. Yes, that yeah. a bit, basically, just like I think fireside gin is one of them. That's the poetic license. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, we be pushing poetic license. But yeah, yeah. But the fireside gin's like a spicy one. Now, there's definitely, I think. Uh, Boutique, he does a jingle all the way. Christmas gin. Yeah. Jingle, clever. Mm-hmm. Love a pun. Uh, 16%, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with aloe vera. Well, it's it's a plant, but it's not aloe vera. It's what you might rub on if this plant touched Nettle. It. Nettle gin. You spend all your life avoiding nettles, and now you're drinking it. I think nettles have got a lot of sweetness in it. I've had nettle wine. Yeah, wine. Wine. (laughs) Nettle wine. Nettle wine. (laughs) Why is that voice come back out? You brought it out by starting it. I think we promised never to have We certainly didn't. Um, I I would go with that. I have tried nettle gin. Have you? Whitley Neal does Ah, an absolutely delicious nettle gin. It's beautiful. So I agree with that, 16%. 
and 31% wanted for the top spot out of Origins, which I'm sick of. <laughs> salted bloody caramel. Mm, salted caramel's all over the place at the moment, is, isn't it? I'm not a fan. I really like it as a sweet. Not sure if I, I don't think want I it in my gin. gin. I don't no. want it in the gin, no. No. Would, I've tried the chocolate orange gin liqueur. That was a treat. Mm. But it was a very rich and sickly treat. Mm. No, but not salted car- caramel. I don't know what you're thinking. Listeners, why don't you tell us what you want and we will make it. Yes. We'll do an infusion. We'll do an infusion. Let us know what flavour you want. Yeah. And we will make it. And I will drink it and try not to vomit. Yes. But don't muck about and try and make us vomit because that's what you think and I know it is. Do it. Do it. Don't do that. Do it. Just before we go... um. So, you know, we were just talking about poetic license. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, we wanted to give a congratulations to Luke, the head distiller of poetic license. Yes. Because he, um, well, it's it's both a happy and a sad thing because he is moving on to Mason's, I believe. Ma- uh, head distiller at Mason's yeah. after being at poetic license for so long and making poetic license as good as it is. I mean, it's my favourite gin it's in Northern beautiful. Dry. It's yeah. Um, Although Cotswolds has has Cotswolds uh, has settled in there in your yeah. top in your top three, hasn't yeah. it? Um, but and I think you know it's his vision, his imagination, his dedication to it that's you know that's yep. um, made it this incredibly unique uh, gin. So um, yes, good luck to Luke Smith. Yeah, but also all the best to Poetic License. Hope you carry on doing what yep. you're doing, and yeah. Luke, go and smash it in Mason's. Yeah, and Luke, if if it's a secret recipe that you don't want anyone to live, just give it to me. Yeah. And I'll look after it for you. Yeah, it's safe with us. I'll sell it for thousands. Ah, uh, uh, oh. Gin news. Gin news. Mother's Room podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Cotsier.